Welcome to the ENA Podcast. This is the ENA Podcast, and this is Dan Campana, the Director of Communications with the Emergency Nurses Association, welcoming you to our latest episode. And the year is winding down, but uh, that doesn't mean that there's not some new and interesting and exciting things going on within ENA and with our friends with the Academy of Emergency Nursing. Uh, today, we're uh, fortunate to have three members of the Academy, including the 2022 Board Chair, Nick Chmielewski, and uh, two of the, our distinguished fellows, Joanne Lazarus and Andrew Bowman, who have been a part of a new uh, new initiative within the academy that uh, ultimately is aiming to have some benefits across ENA and across emergency nursing. So um, less me talking about them, I'm going to introduce them in. So Nick, Joanne, and Andrew, welcome to the ENA podcast. Thank you. Glad Thank to be here. Nick, let's start off uh, with you a little bit. Um, just at a high level here, I mean, uh, folks hear about the Academy, maybe they cross paths with Academy members or uh, see and, and talk with them uh, at things like conference, but uh, just a little quick refresher on what the Academy is, a little bit about uh, the mission itself. Yeah, the Academy of Emergency Nursing honors nurses who have made enduring and substantial contributions that have had a significant impact and continue to advance the emergency nursing specialty we provide visionary leadership to ENA. And, and that's what I just quoted you was directly from our purpose in our guiding documents. When you guys get together, what are some of the things that you know, you're really focused on? Is it about today and the future? Is it about understanding uh, what emergency nurses are going through because you guys have seen so much and experienced so much? Yeah, you know, the, the fellows in the academy are really of who's who, of who's in emergency nursing. And there's really two components to the academy. One is the honorific, if you will, the recognition of someone that's made a significant and enduring contribution to the specialty. And the second is that ongoing journey and responsibility to provide visionary leadership to ENA, particularly about issues that are occurring in our specialty. And it's that part of our purpose of providing visionary leadership to ENA, where this Trailblazer program, the nexus of the Trailblazer program really came from. Nick, that's a great segue into talking about the Trailblazer program and really how it's, it's harnessing that expertise in a way that uh, can feed things into the board and, and really feed the direction of ENA in, in some different ways. Uh, talk a little bit about the how this came together as a concept and really how it fits into the mission of the, of the Academy. Sure, we take our role of providing visionary leadership to ENA really seriously. And there, you know, there's a variety of ways we do this, but the origination of the Trailblazer program really started at our 2018 business meeting in Pittsburgh. All the fellows in that meeting participated in a strategic planning session um, that provided an initial set of recommendations for the ENA board to consider in developing ENA's next strategic plan, which is the one that's currently in use today. The 2019 business meeting, we spent our time talking about DEI concepts and the need to increase diversity within our specialty and more specifically within ENA and the academy. Academy, And I should note that the academy was exploring DEI concepts well before the catalyst events of 2020 um, and the creation of a, of a DEI committee within ENA. And the feedback that we received from fellows um, at both of those sessions was overwhelmingly positive. Uh, fellows were looking for ways to provide cutting edge, provocative thought leadership, and they wanted to do something more frequently than the annual meeting. 
And so in 2021, the Academy Board, we began to design a mechanism for the fellows in the Academy to do this. In December of 2021, that year, we launched the Trailblazers program, and it's a new mechanism to fulfill this mission of providing you know, visionary leadership. And the intention is that fellows explore um, emerging issues, future issues, issues that are right off there on the horizon um, that are coming in the specialty and have a mechanism for them to discuss with the Academy Board and the ENA Board. And we encourage fellows on these teams to think outside the box and be both bold and pr provocative in their recommendations. The work to get this in place is certainly a big part of it, but then the work really begins, right, Joanne? Uh, you the, you and, and Andrew are, are co-chairs of this initial team uh, this year that worked on a, on a specific question, a specific area of, um, as Nick kind of outlined, uh, controversy, trending, things that are important in emergency nursing right now. So Joanne, tell us a little bit about the what the question that the team that you and Andrew co-chaired, um, what did you want to tackle with this first this, this first program within the Trailblazer Initiative? Well, it was a, an interesting challenge um, to be sure. We, uh, at the beginning of the year, and I think it was in, you can correct me, uh, Nick, but probably March, April, uh, there was a question that came out and volunteers were um, asked to submit if they wanted to participate in, in one of two questions for the, the new Trailblazer program. And the question that I had volunteered for was under an assumption the staffing crisis is sustained, how should emergency care be delivered given a shortage of emergency nurses? So um, the group was selected. Um, there were a total of 11 of us, uh, including two members of the Academy Board that served as liaisons. And we came together for our first call. And it was a little overwhelming because we didn't really have any true guidelines. It was take the question and decide how you want to approach it. We weren't even told what the output should be. It was, you do it. This is your time to, you know, take your think tank and come up with something. So the first, um, one of the first th things that we had to uh, decide was who was going to lead this initiative. And um, as the discussions, you know, as we were discussing it, I said, well, I'll be willing to chair if somebody is willing to co-chair with me. And Andrew was um, kind enough to volunteer as well. So he and I, that's how we became the co-chairs. And then as you can imagine, this is a vast topic that could take lots of directions. So the first step in what we did was to send all of the members of our team out to do some literature um, research. And at our next meeting, and we decided that we would meet weekly because we felt like this was a topic that we didn't wanna spend a lot of time. We didn't have deadlines either. So we sort of self-imposed our own deadlines and said we would meet weekly to come back and decide how we would put this together. So um, the second meeting, everyone came back, they had done some research on the topic. And what we did essentially was brainstorm a little bit and narrow down or categorize the, all of the literature that came in. And we really came up with um, three categories that we felt like that we could approach. And they were around um, team care or a model of care around technology and then around the topic of how do you keep people out of the emergency department? So that's where we focused. And once we were able to come up with these three topics and sort of narrow it down, 
then what we did is we split the group into three groups and each group took on that those topics and then continued to do more research and refine and we decided probably a couple of meetings in that a white paper was the way that we would go with it Andrew, when you're talking about a topic, as, as Joanne mentioned, as, as vast as staffing, uh, you know, research is a big component of that, but this is a, a, almost a day-to-day -day evolving story right now in, in 2022 and 21 and, and you know, over the last several years, when you look at uh, retirement trends and uh, a pandemic and uh, all the struggles with recruitment and retention, uh, how, how did you marry all of that together you know, to be cognizant of what is going on today, but also using that research as a guideline to uh, dig through all that literature, but also start to figure out what, you know, what conclusions you want to be drawn uh, in those three areas? We know, as you just mentioned, you know, there's lots of reasons why emergency nurses are leaving. Some are retiring. You know, the population as a whole is getting older, and so that you're going to have your natural attrition through retirement. But unfortunately, the events of the last you know, two and a half years now with COVID-19, and it just seems uh, a culture more of incivility of patients towards healthcare providers in general is driving nurses and other providers away from the bedside. And so again, our question wasn't was, why are, why are they leaving? How are those of us who are sticking it out and sticking around going to deal with that emergency department that is not as well staffed as it used to be. So our focus was, we know we're gonna have fewer staff. We may not have as well-trained or educated a staff in some areas. Uh, we may be having people who are coming in for short-term uh, appointments and assignments like travel nurses. So how can we best utilize the staff we have, as few as they may be, to still deliver the good care that every emergency nurse wants to deliver? And so our focus was on what are some options, what are some issues, what are some things that we can do to try and offset that exodus of our nursing staff. I'll just throw this out to, to the three of you. When you, uh, as your this work is ongoing, you're seeing things that are happening in day-to-day, -day, the day-to-day -day world um, for yourselves as well. I mean, this is an experienced group who, um, you know, have, have seen a lot of things over time. Joanne, maybe I'll start with you. How do you balance the you know, here's what I perceive because I'm going through this, measuring it up against this research and measuring it against what you see in traditional and niche media and say, we have to find these solutions, but you also know the reality of how hard maybe it, it can be to get to those solutions. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one, um, Dan. And, you know, in my work as a, as a healthcare consultant, I have the opportunity to be in a lot of different environments and to see the, you know, it, one ED, if you've been in one ED, you've been in one ED because they're all very different. You know, the communities that they serve and the staff that's there and, you know, there's just a lot of variables. And so, you know, as, as looking through the research and thinking about, well, this is something that might work in, you know, an academic center, but it won't work in a small community or a rural hospital. So, you know, how do you balance that? And I think as we were looking through the research, it was really about giving enough suggestions and pulling things out enough recommendations that you could you know pull from those that would work in one community or in one hospital and not necessarily a you know here's a set of solutions that you can just you know set down in your department and now everything's going to be good because it's not going to be like that 
Um, so, th you know, that was the challenge, but we also, I think we came up with a nice balance of things that people could look at and make decisions to, you know, maybe implement or to do some more research to see if it makes sense to bring them into their own um, department. And Andrew, as this process is going on, and you're, you know, Joanne mentioned there was no timeline, there was no deadlines, it was sort of self-imposed that there was a, a mission to, to get the right answers out of this work and finding the right time frame to do it. When did you guys start to realize you were getting close to what you wanted from those three categories and, and figuring out how to get the most out of this, this white paper? So initially, like you mentioned, you know, we threw it out to the group. You know, brainstorm, you know, no idea was a bad idea, as I like to say. Uh, and as, as things came together, and then as a time and date became more evident, we, you know, pressed ourselves to, you know, meet on a weekly basis. There was a couple of times we took an extra week off just so people could decompress a little bit and then bring fresh ideas back to the table or a fresh approach back to the table. And so we knew we wanted to have a good product but we knew we had a product that did have uh, a, a finite time to be completed. And we really wanted to get it done, you know, following the Academy's recommendations so we could get it out uh, as soon as possible, ho hopefully around the time of the convention. Uh, so it's just gonna be a little bit later than that, but um, everyone came together very, very nicely and brought their ideas and everyone worked incredibly hard under that eventual deadline that we did have. Joanna, you can start on this one. Where, where do you where do you want people's attention to, to go to? I mean, there's a lot of work that went into this uh, in those three areas. What what are some you know real high level points you would want people to take a look at and go, these are, are solutions or these are ideas that you know I want to ponder so I can find the adjustments or I can instill some change uh, to address this this vast issue as you as you described it earlier. Well, when it came down to it, I said that we, you know, came, we developed three categories. And so the categories that we, you know, initially, finally came up with our recommendations for were around team care, technology, and redirection of patients. And so I think within each of those, there are lots of things that you can look at. And, you know, I know when people hear team care, they're like, well, we've been doing team care forever. And it's like, well, not really, not, not from the, the way that we are suggesting. And it was interesting when we did the research, um, you know, nurse staffing shortages have been around forever. I mean, they ebb and peak for as many years as I've been in nursing, which is, you know, 40 plus years. But when I did the, some, I was part of the team that looked at team care, um, actually, back after World War II, when there was a shortage of nurses coming back to the U.S. and technology was starting to take off, the first concept of team care was actually developed. And there were a lot of successes. There were also some failures with it as well. But it was a whole different concept um, other than what we think of today, where you've got 12 rooms, you've got three nurses, and they work as a team to take care of those 12 patients. That's not really what it's about. It's about having a group of people, healthcare you know, professionals. You've got an uh, ER um, nurse who has the experience. You've got maybe a nurse who doesn't have as much experience. Maybe it's a nurse who is part of the float pool that can come down. A couple of those, you've got a uh, patient care technician um, or a nursing assistant, um, and you may have even have a provider um, that is part of this team, and they manage over a group of patients together. 
So it's not one nurse having primary care for, for four patients, but it's a team that has care for those patients. So that's a concept that is a little bit different. It's tweaking what we're, what we're doing now and just really thinking about how can you make that work in your department when you know you have less staff. And then when you think about technology, well, with the advent of what happened with the pandemic, you know, the acceleration of how technology was brought into the setting is really phenomenal when you think about where we were prior to um, COVID. Things that we started experimenting with during COVID probably wouldn't have happened as quickly as they did in the pre-COVID you know, timeframe. So looking at those sorts of things, the use of telemedicine, um, you know, whether it's in triage, having a provider who is not actually present but can see patients as the nurse is is assessing those patients and can start the you know, diagnostics on that patient um, is, is something that's a little bit different. Evaluating um, you know, behavioral health patients is not something that's new, but it's something that is you know, becoming more and more something that you see in EDs, having uh, a uh, tele-ICU, because we know that during the COVID time period, there was many more ICU patients that were having to remain in the emergency department because there weren't places for them in the real, in the you know, physical intensive care units. And so having that ability to you know, really give those patients that kind of care in the department um, is extremely important and even more so now than it was prior to you know, when we got into COVID. And then the just helping patients have alternatives to not come to the emergency department. That one's probably the toughest one, I think, for a lot of communities because you really have to have community support. You have to have EMS that is willing to buy into it and you have to have the community resources available for that. But I think that that's something that in the future is, is, is the direction that we really wanna spend a lot of time focusing on. Andrew, from your perspective, what are a couple of, of high-level takeaways you would want any emergency nurse who uh, sees the uh, this product? You know, this is uh, you know a lot of hard work by uh, by members of the academy and uh, to produce this. What what are some high-level things you would want them to to see in this and and want to take back and, and have more conversations and try to implement? First of all, you know when that emergency nurse opens up that file looks at this you know it's it's a fire hose of information there's a lot of information here and not all of it will be applicable to that nurse in that nurse's work environment so the big thing i want the person who reads this paper to take away is that somewhere in the body of this paper for your role for your department for your hospital there's something that can be utilized there is a solution that's going to help not everything in this paper is going to be able to be done at every facility. We, we recognize that from the beginning, that we weren't trying to answer everybody's problem, but we wanted to provide solutions that would be useful across the spectrum from the critical access hospital who might benefit greatly from some kind of telemedicine assistance as part of their team care approach and as part of their work with the patient to you know, a large city tertiary care center that is overwhelmed, but has resources available where some patients could be redirected. You know, EMS calls in, they've got a stable, non-overdose, you know, non-critically medical patient who is having a mental health emergency. Well, two blocks away, there's a crisis clinic that could take care of that patient. Or this is someone who is, you know, substance abusing, 
again, who is medically stable. They've been evaluated by EMS. They may have even had an advanced practice provider at the scene or, you know, an advanced practice provider contacted through that EMS service, how they operate. They're medically stable. They need help with their substance abuse. A mile away from the hospital, there's a drug abuse treatment center. Redirecting those patients to facilities that are going to help them with the problem they have now. They don't need to come to the emergency department every time. But in a lot of communities, that has become the mindset. And in some communities, it is the only solution. But if you're in a community that has options, use those options. Take these ideas from the paper and start to employ them in your area. With so much kind of packed into it, I know that people are going to need some time to digest and, and dig into it. Uh, I do want to wrap up with you, Nick. In, when you look at um, you know seven, eight months of work, you know by this initial team within the Trailblazer program uh, to produce this, uh, what what's your perspective? I mean, it was a long road to get to this program's establishment um, and to find another way to feed into the the academy's mission. Um, what what are some of your thoughts about the the final product and and the work to get there from from this team? I'm so proud. I really am. I'm proud of the this team. And and to be clear, we launched with two teams. So um, both were around the staffing crisis. One group was asked this question, which is, the nurses are not coming back. So how do we deliver care in this in this environment? Another group was tasked with what are ways to recruit and retain nurses, and and that information should also be out in in the next few months. Um, and and. I, you know, this team didn't just blaze a trail, both teams didn't just blaze a trail around um, the question that we asked them to tackle. They literally blazed the trail around how to do this. So they were guinea pigs, if you will, and um, um, allowed us to have a process that we didn't fully form. And the concept was, and these are fellows in the academy, they're used to problem solving. And so their patience is, is, is appreciated as we work through this together and figure out what this looks like. And I think we've got a great example here of how moving forward, the Academy can address cutting edge issues that we're dealing with, crises that are occurring in our specialty and issues that are off in the horizon and address them, whether that's through a public white paper that we're putting out like this or providing some poignant feedback to both the Academy Board and the ENA Board for them to think about and discern how ENA can better support their nurses across the country. I don't know that anybody could sum it up better when you use the the, the verbiage of trailblazer for the trailblazers of this program. I, I think that's a, a great way to to kind of snapshot it all and, and what their mission was and, and how uh, you know this this first paper, um, the first of many, I'm assuming, will will come out through the, the the program and the ways that you just described. So with that, you know, Nick, Joanne, Andrew, I appreciate you being a part of the ENA podcast today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dan. Thank Thanks, you, Dan. Dan. That'll do it for this episode of the ENA podcast. And uh, obviously, you can learn more about uh, this initial white paper from uh, the Trailblazer program with the Academy of Emergency Nursing uh, on the ENA website and look for uh, more details on social media and in the December issue of ENA Connection magazine. Thank you for being a part of this episode and look forward to you joining us. We've only got a couple left for this year, but I look forward to you joining us for the next episode of the ENA podcast. 